Let's get straight into the word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 33. For those who uh, haven't been at church uh, regularly over the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're looking at uh, this last section of chapter 5. And uh, then we have uh, part of chapter 6 next week and uh, the rest of it the week after. And that finishes it. So I hope that you've really enjoyed going through Ephesians to see what it is that uh, God has for you uh, in this part of the Bible. So if we could have that uh, on the screen, thanks. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. What that really means is happy wife, happy life. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So, again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So you see that there are two sections to this part of the chapter. The first is continuing on uh, the um, message that Adam brought to us last, Friday, uh, last Sunday night uh, about living in the light. And then it goes on to husbands and wives. But there's actually a connection there between those two passages. It's not like there's one bit about living in the light, one bit about husbands and wives. And uh, I want to look at that first part of the chapter first before we look at the husband and wives section and just see what's in there for us to bring on as we look through that second part of, uh, of that passage. So Adam mentioned last week how we are living in the light and there are things that we can do to cause the light that we have to grow dim. Hopefully the power is all on for everybody now and now I'm still without power. That's wonderful. And uh, we can put the candles away, even that last candle from Bunnings, Adam, that you had to fight for. Um, we can put them away until the next one in 100 year storm. Now, Either I'm a lot older than what I think, or someone has to redefine one in 100 year storms, because I've lived through a few of them now. <laughs> but 
But verse 19 in that passage talks about being filled with the Spirit. And of course, that's the power source of that candle. That's the power source of the light in our lives. And uh, that's impervious to storms, whether it's one in 100 or one in 1,000. It's impervious to lightning strikes. The power of the Spirit in our life is impervious to fallen trees and branches and all the kind of things that interrupt the power source that, uh, that we have. So uh, let's never forget that. And of course our theme in church last year was by his spirit. And uh, we really need to make sure that that is the source of all that we do. But did you notice how today's passage, passage started? If you've got your Bibles there, have a look. Verse 15, it says, be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Now when I'm preparing for a message, I like to have different Bibles in front of me, different translations to see what different things they might say, how they might interpret it. As I look from translation to translation to translation, that verse said, be careful how you live. 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 And I thought, what an interesting connection. The passage from last week talked about living in the light. And this verse is talking about being careful how you live. We can't assume that just because we're all set, just because we're living in the light, everything's going to go smoothly. Paul still warns we have to be careful how we live. We can't go on cruise control and just make assumptions. Assumptions can lead to false conclusions. I almost made a very embarrassing assumption a few months ago. I was mowing the lawn one Saturday afternoon and I'd done the back and was heading up towards the front. Now, our house is below street level, so our driveway goes up towards the street. So I was pushing the mower up the, uh, the driveway there. And between our driveway and the neighbour's driveway is a patch of grass of probably one and a half metres wide. And uh, I usually mow that as well. Or it won't get done. <laughs> did, did, I, did I say that out loud? So pushed them up the driveway and then I made the first run down that strip of grass between my driveway and the neighbour's driveway. It actually is on their land but that's okay. (laughs) So I pushed the first run down and at the end of that strip where the driveway is flattened out where the houses are, that's where the neighbours leave their garbage bins. And so I usually move the three garbage bins onto their side of the drive so I can mow underneath them because you know what it's like if you're mowing and there's a garbage bin, you don't move the garbage bin, the grass is all long and untidy around the bin. So I move them onto the driveway, mow where the, the uh, bins are and then head back up the hill for the next run. And when I got to the top of the hill and turned around and went down for the, another run with the mower, I noticed that there was a can of Coke sitting on one of the garbage bins that I'd moved. I sort of looked around and neighbours weren't out and about and Jane hadn't put it there and I thought... I wonder if that's for me. I'm always mowing this grassy strip. It's a hot old day. These, these guys aren't so bad after all. There was no one else around. And I thought, oh, I'm not 100% sure. So came down the hill with the next strip and there it was. You know, it was right in front of me on the garbage bin that I'd moved. And uh, I'd finished doing that section. And then normally I put the bins straight back. And I thought, oh, I might just leave the bins there and not touch the coke and just sort of leave it all there. And went back up and mowed uh, the top part of our, our yard there. And then we have a, a lane down the side. And so I thought I'll go down the side and, and mow that little strip there. Um, and it puts me out of sight of, of the bins and the coke. 
And if once I've done that and come back up to the top, if the Coke's still there, well, I'll assume that they just put it out there for me as a special thank you. So I mowed down the side, got back up to the top, and there was the bins and there was the can of Coke, and no one else was around. And I thought, good on them, good on them. That's going to be well appreciated. But I still wasn't really sure. So I thought, I'll just stay at the top for a minute and just sort of fiddle around with the mower, you know, check the air pressure and all that sort of stuff, (laughs) and the tyres. I know a lot about this sort of stuff. So I'm sort of fiddling around with the mower, you know, checking the dipstick and the air pressure and all the sort of things that you have to do in the tyres. And while I was doing that, um, two young people came out of uh, the house and hopped in the car that was in the driveway. And uh, they're about to drive off. And I thought, well, they're leaving the can of Coke there. It must be for me. And just before they were about to drive off, one of them jumped out, grabbed the can of Coke, hopped back in the car, and off they went. And I thought, I'm never mowing that bit of grass again. (laughs) So I went down, put the bins back where they belonged, and uh, put the mower away and went inside and had a glass of water. But we can make assumptions, can't we? Things that uh, we think through and um, just assume that this is how it's going to be. But another version of the Bible, that verse that says, says uh, be careful how you live. Another version, the message version says, watch your step. Watch your step. And that's what I've titled this message, watch your step. Even living in the light, we have to watch our step. Now, how often do you watch your step as you're moving around? If you're on uneven ground, if uh, you're out in the bush, if you're hiking, you're in an unfamiliar place and it's rocky, you watch every step you take. Every step. If you're somewhere here, well, you've probably subconsciously scanned and see that there's carpet, see that there's a bit of a slope in here, but it's flat level outside, that there's some furniture to avoid, a pram and a small child or two, and uh, you're thinking through this subconsciously while you're even walking. And you're not watching every step. You don't need to do that. And I guess around your home, where you're even more familiar with furniture and how things are, um, you can manage to move around in the dark if you have to get up at night for some reason or another and just hope the kids haven't left toys where they shouldn't leave them. Um, You can be very familiar, and you don't need to watch that step. And the more familiar we are with where we live and the environment, the less we notice our steps. And that can be the same in Christian living. We can get so familiar with the new life that we have in God that over time we watch our steps less and less and we can make assumptions that all is fine. Um, I'm familiar with this Christian life, uh, familiar with what I should be doing and what God might say to me and we just assume to carry on. And we're not careful at how we're living. And that's how we can start to head in the wrong direction. It's just one step at a time. It mightn't be a big decision to move in the wrong direction. It might just be one little step at a time. We find ourselves moving from where the light is bright to where it's just a little bit more dim. And a little bit more dim. And another step. And a little bit more dim. We have to watch our step. One step at a time. The choice can be to be part of a gossiping conversation. That's one step away from where we should be. The decision can be turned on a late night movie that really isn't the kind of thing we should be watching or bowing to peer pressure and hanging out with old mates who we know are going to have an influence on us. It could be the decision to be on Facebook with someone and we don't think that really is the right kind of connection we should have. 
It could be to allow upset and offence to fester or letting the occasional swear word fly. Maybe a choice to spend less and less time with God in prayer and reading the Bible and letting our thoughts and attitudes become more critical or complaining rather than being joyful in our hearts to God. As verse 20 said, give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful how we live. Even when we're living in the light, we have to watch our step. So what's the remedy? Well, that's in that Bible passage too, strangely enough. Verse 17 says, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. That Paul is urging us to do two things here. First, to be thoughtful about what we do. Don't get in the habit of just going along with the flow, doing what you've always done, going with the familiar. Be thoughtful and intentional about what we do, and then we'll be careful how we live. It's a key point to take time to stop and to think things through, to talk them over with those around you. I heard a Christian lady speaking in a seminar once, and she was saying that every year in January, she and her husband put time aside, and they sit down and they talk about every aspect of their lives. They talk about how they feel that their relationship is going. And it's a time where they might bring up hurts or challenges or difficulty that haven't yet been resolved. And they set some personal goals for their relationship for the coming year. They talk about their finances. They talk about their careers, their children. They talk about their church. They think through their own personal service to the community, realising life's not all about themselves, what they can do. But they look at all of those things from biblical principles. And that's the second part of that verse. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. And they bring these things to God and say, Lord, what is it that you want us as a Christian couple devoted to each other and devoted to you? What is it that you want us to do for the coming year in these areas. And if we don't do that kind of evaluation with the criteria of the Bible, then we can be making wrong sorts of decisions too. So don't act thoughtlessly, but find out what God wants you to do. So from that part of the passage, Paul then goes to focus on about husbands and wives. And he talks about relationships, and there's more coming next week as well with other relationships that we have. But I guess for many of us, the most significant relationship that we'll ever have is with a husband or wife. And I want to stop here for a moment before we go into this and acknowledge that they can be the most joyful, rewarding relationship or they can be the most painful and hurtful relationship as well. And that life doesn't always go as we would want it to go, not always as we plan. And I just want to acknowledge that that's the case for people here in this church, for people that we know, for friends and for family. But that doesn't stop us having a look at what the Bible says. There are people here about to be married. There are people here working through marriage issues and relationships. There are people here who one day may be married. I think it's important to understand that what the Bible says about these relationships Now, of course, what the Bible says about marriage relationships can also apply in many ways to other relationships with key people in our life and other friends. So that said, 
let's have a look at what the Bible says. As I mentioned at the start, this next part of the Bible isn't disconnected from watching our step. We've been reading that Paul says, we live in the light, still watch our step. Be wise, don't be foolish. Think things through. Ask God what it is he wants you to do. I think he's setting up some of the ground rules for husbands and wives. Be careful how you live. Watch your step. And when you think about it, that's how a relationship develops. When you're initially getting to know someone, you're very thoughtful and watch every step. Is my hair right? Do these clothes look okay? I wonder, will she like this restaurant? I'll make sure I hold my tongue and don't say things I shouldn't do. I'll let her speak first. I'm going to be on time, but not too early because she mightn't be ready and she might get panicked. Oh, goodness, I haven't sent a text or a message for a while. Maybe I should send one now so she knows I'm still interested, but I don't want to hassle her. Goodness, it's over an hour since I sent the last one. Is that too early? Is that too soon? Oh, man, I didn't even think to clean the car. It's an absolute mess. I'll go through the car wash on the way. I want to burp. (laughs) Or worse. (laughs) But I'm going to hold it in. So at that stage of a relationship, we're watching every step, aren't we? Watching every step. We don't know the person well, and it's like walking on unfamiliar ground. Every step we take, we've got to make sure it's okay. But through marriage, we become familiar with each other. And that's one of the good things about marriage, that you can relax and you can be comfortable with one another. We can feel at home and just enjoy the company of our husband or wife. It's okay to burp, or worse. But the caution is that along with familiarity, complacency can also seep in. And if we're not watching our steps and being careful how we live... We can get over-familiar and tend to ignore the one we've chosen to live with. And uh, that special person often gets the raw end of the deal, the leftovers. Instead of giving thanks for everything, as Paul says in verse 20, it's so easy to find fault and complain. As we look at this passage, some would argue, well, this thing about wives having to submit and husbands loving and so forth, it's really just a contextual kind of thing. Uh, it applied to the people of Ephesus at the time because they needed to hear that, but it really doesn't apply to this day and age. And some might say, well, it's more of a uh, cultural thing. You know, you look at the Bible, um, David and uh, Solomon had many wives and many concubines, and we don't do that anymore, so. Really, things like wives submitting and husbands loving and so forth, that's just a um, cultural kind of a thing. Others might say that uh, dividing this into sections, this is what the husbands have to do, tick, 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 and this is what the wives have to do, tick, 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 is the way to look at that. But I think all of those approaches are missing the bigger picture. The guidelines that Paul gives are not specific for men or women, or even for those who are married. I think they're the basis of relationships for us all. Now, Paul is especially reminding those who are married. But these key concepts apply to anyone. The first one, in verse 21, submit to one another. 
Submit to one another. And that's for all of us, submitting to one another. I do like to Google the Greek meanings of some words because sometimes in translations, the word in English such, such as submit means something deeper and it has a richer and a more full meaning in the original. So I opened up the internet and had a look. And I was very interested to find that the word submit in Greek means submit. That's it. There's no hidden meaning. There's no, nothing that's deeper. To place oneself under authority of one. To give way to another person. To back down. To conform with someone else's idea. To agree or consent with another person. And from time to time, in every mutual relationship, you will have to submit. You will have to stop pushing your own way and insisting that this is how it's going to happen. All you're going to do is build a wall if you take a hardline approach like that. The second basic concept that Paul outlines in that passage is to love one another. We know that God is love. We know that all of creation was created by a loving God who desired a relationship with us. We know that the Bible says love one another many, 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 many times. Last week Adam mentioned about the Anzacs who gave their lives for us and as an example of Jesus who did the same. And Adam challenged us to be prepared to also lay our lives down for the work of God. And I think at times we think, yes, I'll do that for the sake of the world, for the sake of my town, for the sake of the nation, for the sake of that stranger, I'd be prepared to lay down my life. But what about for the sake of those who I love the most? The sake of the people I've chosen or the person I've chosen to be with all of my life. Are there times where I would forget to lay down my life for her? I think Paul's reminder in this passage is don't forget, lay down your life for the ones that you love the most. And of course the third principle in this relationship is Christ is the example. And when you read through that passage, it keeps referring to the fact that this is how Christ loved the church. That's us, the body of Christ. And that's our example. And if we want to look at these marriage relationships, we have to realise that we have to mirror our relationship with Christ in our relationships with our husbands or wives. They've got to be mirror images of each other. That's what the passage is urging us to do. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through to 6, I think it sums it up really nicely. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. There's that submission. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. There's him as an example. Who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That passage goes on to talk about how he gave his life for us. There's that love aspect of it. But even if Jesus, who knew that he was equal with God, didn't wave that around in his relationships, I think that is an example for us. How can we say, well, you know, I'm so-and-so, so so you just keep that in mind. (laughs) Or 
let's just check the bank balances here. I'm sort of a bit ahead of you, so I'll make the calls with this. So there was nothing that Jesus used to his advantage in relationships. It was all put aside. So those are principles for all Christians to apply in all relationships, to submit to one another, to love one another, to use Jesus as our example. But Paul does write, and there's no denying it, wives submit to your husband. Now we can apply that to lots of relationships, but he does talk about that to wives. Why? Because Paul knows that that's especially what men need. For a man to feel secure, um, speaking on my own behalf, men, you can talk to your wives and friends later on. A man needs to be built up and encouraged and wanted and valued. But it's got to be authentic. Graham, I can't get the lid off the honey jar. Can you open that? (laughs) Why, sure, Jane. No, I'm not quite that fickle. But that's that's an example, isn't it? Now, women, this may be surprising to you, but men have emotional needs too. Actually, men, that might be surprising for some of you as well. But this is another way that women could submit, to put aside what's going on with her, within her, and give some time to focus on husband and the needs that he has. A husband wants to be honoured and understood and respected. There are so many different passages and bits and pieces on the internet about this. But uh, there's one, um, one Christian marriage counsellor, Mark Gungor, who um, produces the Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage series. It is just an amazing series if you ever want to have a good laugh and learn a lot about yourself and your wife or husband. But he writes, sadly for millions of men, their home, the place that they live in, is a place where the voices of criticism are amplified, not silenced. Isn't that sad? That's where you're most criticised. Not built up, not respected. He says, I heard one woman say to her husband, who had just received a special award at a banquet, everyone thinks you're so great. Only I know what an idiot you are. Oh, isn't that cutting? Isn't that cutting? A man needs to be held in high esteem and shown consideration and appreciation even when he, when I, makes mistakes. The marriage relationship should be the one place in his life where the voices of criticism are silenced, where he finds assurance and acceptance. And Paul does write, men love your wives. And while this applies to all of our relationships, he does say men love your wives. Why? Because Paul knows that especially a woman needs to feel this. She needs to feel this sense of security and feel loved and that there is no one else more important to her husband than she is. The challenge for a man is to communicate this. Communicate the admiration, the love he has for his wife in a way that is also authentic and connects with her in a way that is meaningful for her to receive that love. We're aware, of course, that all of us, women as well, and men, like to um, have different ways to receive love and affirmation. If you've read The Five Love Languages by author Gary Chapman, 
He says there's five ways that we can express love for one another. Some love words of affirmation. Graham, great shirt you're wearing today. That kind of thing. Others, it's a physical touch, a hug or a cuddle, hand on a shoulder. For some, it's gifts. Look, I was in the shop and I bought this thing for you, especially for you. For some, it's time. Just to be with me, just to have time. Let's just chat things over and just be together. For some, it's acts of service, racing around and doing the vacuuming for, uh, for your wife. And communication is the key. And men, this is where you can watch your step and not make assumptions. Things change, and to keep talking and working through things is so important. While I was preparing this message uh, yesterday and this morning, um, we had the rain showers come and go and come and go and come and go. And I sit in our study, and I love to have the window open, even if it's cold, even if it's a little bit wet. There's not much of a view, it's just a wooden fence out the other side. But it's just nice to feel the breeze coming through. But I had to be very aware while I was doing this that the rain squalls would come and sometimes the rain wouldn't come in the window and other times it would. So it was window open, window closed. And I was um, typing this, keeping half an eye on the weather radar, half an eye on what was happening outside, the rain had stopped, window open, do a little bit more, window closed, window open, window closed. It wasn't just a matter of setting and forgetting. I knew I couldn't leave the window open yesterday or this morning, walk away grab something and come back it had to be window open window closed watch the radar watch the skies and I thought that is so like a real relationship we can't just assume something's finished it's open it's closed Um, we've got to keep our eye on the marriage radar we've got to keep watching what's happening around window open window closed window part way open window a little bit more open window closed it's always changing always changing and then we have to realise that and that communication and talk if we're going to love our wives as best we can. But without love, without that willingness to submit, without using Christ as an example, a dangerous culture in a relationship can develop. And I'm sure you've seen these and been aware of them as well. A culture where it's the done thing to ridicule the spouse, to put them down, Um, It might start as a bit of a joke or in jest um, with a bit of a laugh but it can be cutting and it can hurt and it can erode foundations. And uh, I heard a, a speaker once say that where there is competition in a relationship there can be no nurture. If you're always trying to prove that you're better than your husband or wife by big nerding yourself or cutting them down a little bit You can't nurture them because you're competing against them. And I think Paul would have us understand that as well. Back to verse 17. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to build up your husband or your wife. Not put them down. To nurture them. They need to be a better person and closer to God because they are in relationship with you. That's the challenge. Paul also does right in verse 23, the husband is the head. I did have a look at the Greek for that. Authority, leadership. But that same word is also used for the word cornerstone in some cases. Joining two walls together. And I love that analogy. 
If the man is the head, well, it's your job, our job, to join those two walls together, to form one new thing. If you're a fan of the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you'll know the response when it's said the husband is the head. Who knows the response? Yes. (laughs) The husband may be the head, but it is the wife that is the neck that turns the head where she wants it to go. (laughs) I think though, ideally in a Christian family, the man as head is playing the lead role in ensuring Christ is at the center point of the family. That's what it's about. It's not about being bossy. It's not about making all of the decisions and taking command. It's about men making sure that Christ is the focal point of your household. It's one thing to say we can all submit to one another, and we should. We can all love one another, and we should. We can all use Christ as an example, and we should. But we can't all be head. And I feel strongly about this. Men, this is your job, appointed by God. And it's not that a woman can't make Christ the focal point of the house. And if a man defaults on that, well, she will. In fact, I think it's even better in a family when both the man and the woman are doing this together. Together, we're deciding Christ will be the focal point of our family. But it's the man who's got to make sure that that's what's happening. It's not the man's job to drop the kids at Sunday school so that they get some religion and he goes and plays golf. He's got to be there. He's got to be active. He's the one who's got to teach them about God. In the Bible, there's some negative examples of that. In the Old Testament, the prophets Eli and Samuel, both were mighty men of God. Both had sons who were wicked and showed contempt for the Lord. They didn't provide that headship for their family. And I know that as children grow, they become young adults and they make their own decisions and choices. And there's no guarantees that they will choose to follow God. But if a man falls down in this area of responsibility, if he's not the one teaching about God and living that daily example, how will the children know what a Christian family can be like? Men, you can't pass this one on. Take the lead. Make sure that Christ is the center of your home. Teach your children to pray. Sit with them. Read the Bible. Show them how to forgive. Show them how to seek forgiveness. Let them see how God can lead and direct a life. Show them how to submit to God, to your wife, to each other. Show them how to say sorry. Show them how to love, how to follow Christ's example. Teach them to be careful. Teach them to watch their step. Teach them how to understand what it is that God wants them to do. It's a big responsibility. I was talking with Jane about this yesterday. I said, what do you think this means? And she said, oh, I think it means the man's got the worst end of the straw. (laughs) And we do. It's an amazing responsibility. It's an honour and a privilege. But you think of what we should be doing, what we should be making sure is happening in our houses. So, as I finish up, be careful how you live. Watch your step. Don't sit and forget. That approach won't work. The window is open. The window is closed. You might be totally in awe of a new car. Love it. 
that runs perfectly for a while. If you neglect it, it won't be too long and it will come to a grinding halt. And it's the same way with our relationships. I might paraphrase the words of President Kennedy. Ask not what your spouse can do for you. Ask what you can do for your spouse. But I want to say a little more, and that's the bigger picture. This isn't about just so you have a wonderful relationship and a happy life. It's best for husbands and wives, but it's also God's best for families. It's also God's best for the body of Christ. So a marriage relationship is about having two people who grow and are nurtured and encouraged and can be more effective in their ministry for God. And through that we can be a light in a world that's dark. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.